Hello, and you are listening to Eco-Justice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome. I am Jack Eit. On today's show, nature, culture, and the sacred, reinventing leadership and reclaiming the feminine, host Carrie Kim will be interviewing Nina Simons co-founder and chief relationship officer of Bioneers and author of Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership. Nina Simons leads the Bioneers Every Woman's Leadership Program. The Bioneers is a nonprofit that uses media, convening, and connecting to lift up visionary and practical solutions for many of our most pressing social and ecological challenges, revealing a regenerative and equitable future that's within our reach today. She speaks and teaches internationally at schools, conferences, and festivals, and co-facilitates transformative workshops and retreats for women that share practices for regenerative leadership through reclaiming wholeness and relational mindfulness. Aloha, this is Carrie Kim. Listeners, we have a compelling and timely show today as award-winning author, social entrepreneur, and co-founder of Bioneers, Nina Simons, joins us today to share deep insights from her new book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership. We thank the Tongva ancestors for their continuing presence, Mm -hmm. legacy, stewardship, and profound connection to this area. Our show comes to you from the ancestral lands of the Tongva and all of their relatives. And we encourage listeners to actively engage, align with, and support the many native nations of Turtle Island, wherever you live and beyond. Leadership, what does it mean to lead in our times? Perhaps our times are requesting that we all express leadership in our own unique ways and forms. Etymology of the word leadership reveals root words that mean to go and also to guide. We might perceive of leadership as going somewhere together with others, with being the important preposition, because many of us have become jaded by modern leadership influenced by patriarchy, tyranny, hierarchy, and racial, social, or gender inequalities. Ours is a time that yearns for a new, feminine-inflected and heart-led vision of leadership. Where might it lead us collectively at the local and global level? Many Indigenous peoples around the world hold understandings and perceptions about leadership that are inherently more spiritual, circular, communal, and collaborative than what many of us have experienced or been taught in traditional schools or by society at large. May we redefine and expand our notions of leadership for much is at stake for the natural world, especially including ourselves. Some indigenous communities speak of the bird of humanity that has been flying too long with one wing. Now is the time to return to balance and fly with two wings for the benefit of the world. Nina Simons is here to explore the potentiality of leadership for our shared future. 
Welcome, Nina. Thank you, Carrie. That was a great intro. <laughs> Thanks. A humble thank you to you for your passionate and longstanding commitment to nature, to restoration of humanity and the earth, particularly through Bioneers, and your leadership development trainings and retreats for women. I'm speaking with you from the ancestral homelands of the Tewa, Tiwa, and Keres-speaking peoples, also known as the Pueblo peoples of what is now known as New Mexico. I want to share one uh, little passage from your book. It's just one little short paragraph, but I think it kind of sums up where we're headed uh, in our interview today. I now believe that there's nothing that will serve our future better than bringing the aligned capacity of each of us, our own full spectrum diversity, to our leadership in all its forms. It seems to me the most potent and useful response in this moment when the world is asking so much of us. I still believe. <laughs> you still believe it. <laughs> it counts your original calling to serve and work for nature. Well, sure. I mean, I've realized in retrospect, as I reflect from now, that even as a child growing up in New York City, mm -hmm. I went to nature when I needed solace and when I sought balance and comfort. And that impulse was really rekindled much later in my late 20s when I experienced a biodiversity garden in southern New Mexico that was being tended by a master gardener for the purposes of preserving and spreading the biodiversity of food plants back into circulation because mm -hmm. of the threat of monoculture, because of corporate concentration of the food system. Mm -hmm. And when I walked through that garden, completely not expecting it. Mm -hmm. I had this amazing, transformative, sensual, spiritual experience, mm -hmm. which was that I saw a garden that was more beautiful than anything I had ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And it was hundreds and hundreds of really diverse plants, mm -hmm. many of which I'd never heard of at the time, growing in very close proximity. And they were every color and size and shape and there were pollinators buzzing all over and it was incredibly fertile and the master gardener who was tending it would introduce us to each plant as we walked through the garden mm -hmm. and he introduced us by the latin name and the common name and then he explained how it was related to all the plants around it mm -hmm. and i realized that this man knew these plants better than many people know their own families right. and Right. And then he invited us to taste. And I was tasting herbs I'd never heard of before, like lemon licorice mint and chocolate <laughs> basil. Right. And 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 my senses were just dancing. Mm -hmm. And then he explained why he was doing all this mm -hmm. and that there was this immense threat to mm -hmm. the future of life itself, mm -hmm. the diversity of food plants that sustain us on this planet. And by the time I walked out of the garden, I felt like the spirit of the natural world tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're working for me now. Mm -hmm. So that was my first introduction to really going into service and sacred activism on behalf of the natural world. Mm -hmm. how, how soon after that was Pioneers founded? It was about a year or two later 
when my husband was researching to learn about not only who was doing something about biodiversity and the impending threat then of climate change, this right. was back in like 89, right? <laughs> right. When, when James Lovelock had just sounded the alarm, not James Lovelock, J um, we, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, thank you. The, the first global alarm right. about climate change was out and we responded to it by starting Bioneers. And it was really a response to discovering that there were amazing people out there doing brilliant, innovative solutions that were inspired by nature to heal nature and that no one knew about them. And some of the inspiration from that also came from indigenous peoples. Uh, we are based in the Southwest. And so we knew that indigenous peoples are the first pioneers. And so even with our very first conference, there was always indigeneity and indigenous worldviews really informing it at its heart. Mm -hmm. So it was this bringing together of like, at the time, kind of way ahead of their time visionaries mm -hmm. that no one had ever heard of. Mm -hmm. And we realized that the mainstream media really rarely covers what mm -hmm. the world that's being born. They mostly focus on if it bleeds, it leads. Right. You know, and, mm -hmm. and when we had that first gathering, we began to realize that something very powerful was happening. And it has continued and evolved continuously for 34 years since. Yeah, it's kind of like being a, a bit ahead of your times, and now the times have kind of caught up. Exactly. It feels very much that way. <laughs> yes. I want to pivot to your, to your new book. The film Burning Times was a pivotal moment for you and your understanding of leadership. I was wondering if you could share a bit of the history for our listeners so they understand this trajectory in leadership, particularly with regard to suppression of the feminine. Sure. The Burning Times is a film that any listener can find online if you Google it. It was made in 1990, I believe, in Canada. And it's about an hour long, and it tells the story of the 300 to 400 year period in European history, which had correlatives all over the world, mm -hmm. um, where women who were healers and mystics and doulas and death doulas were systematically persecuted and tortured and burned for the supposed crime of being witches. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I saw this film, it, it's rather dated by now, but yeah. the factual basis of it is very solid. Mm -hmm. And depending which historian you believe, somewhere between 50,000 and several million women over mm -hmm. the course of seven generations mm -hmm. were systematically right, hunted and persecuted and tortured and killed. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it, several things happened for me. One was that it was the first time that I understood in my bones why I might have a fear of speaking my truth in public. Mm -hmm. As I've learned, well, let me say that later. The second thing that happened was I was flabbergasted because I thought, this is a gigantic event in human history that has had repercussions all over the world. How can I not have learned about this in school? And so I began to research. And what I found was that every aspect of human civilization basically underwent a shift from the purview of the feminine to the purview of the masculine over the course of those three to 400 years. And what that meant for me was that I began to understand that 
all of the challenges that we face as a species that I'd been learning about through Bioneers mm -hmm. could be seen as products of the imbalance of the masculine and the feminine, not just in our embodied forms, but in their archetypal forms. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about the yin yang of ancient traditional wisdom that says we are meant to live in balance that I saw that imbalance really vividly mm -hmm. because it was so clear institutionally as well as culturally as well as physically mm -hmm. in my lived experience. Mm -hmm. And of course, since then, science has proven that epigenetic trauma is a thing mm -hmm. and that we all carry the trauma of our ancestors and of our histories mm -hmm. in our DNA, mm -hmm. which has led me to believe, Carrie, that we all carry that internal implicit bias mm -hmm. toward the masculine and away from the feminine within ourselves, which is helps me understand why patriarchy has been so intractable all mm -hmm. over the world. Mm -hmm. And so then I embarked on an exploration of leadership. I started being acknowledged for my leadership. Mm -hmm. And I realized that as I unpacked it and worked with hundreds of women leaders, I saw that we all arrived to this deep dive immersion training that we co-created, right. believing that we weren't leaders mm. and that, that was not a title we could aspire to or claim or feel good about. Mm -hmm. And as we unpacked that, we found that we all had mental models of what leadership is and does mm -hmm. that none of us wanted. Yeah. And negative you know, connotations, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, who wants to be involved in power over and brutalizing and, you know, hierarchical systems that devalue other people rather mm -hmm. than lifting them up? Yeah. And especially if you happen to be in a female body, I mm -hmm. do think it's part of our conditioning to want to be more communally oriented and more We're partnership oriented. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a it's a long answer, but I hope that begins to unpack your question. I think it's important too to just hear that notion of how long that history was. I think people kind of have like a vague overview, but they probably most do not know really how impactful that was. And right. for example, how you said that from that moment on, women were really not practicing medicine. It was the men. So that's a big shift in, you know, herbal tradition in folk wisdom and in the ways we heal ourselves. So, I mean, as you say, it, it really impacted so many different arenas of our lives today. So it is there one of the original PTSD syndromes for all of us, you know, no matter your gender. I but, think so. And no matter your your ethnic identity, mm -hmm. you know, it's global. And that's really surprising, but true, I think. Yeah, because you spoke about some of the initial reluctance you had to being called a leader for these reasons. Part of it is going back to that. Like you said, you, maybe it doesn't feel safe to speak out as a woman or to stand up, you know, in the, like a poppy in the field. So when did you actually shift from having maybe some kind of a reluctance to really feeling empowered by being a leader, not from the title, but just that you were had the capacity to lead and it was not something you were shrinking back from? You know, I think it happened over time. I think, like many of us do, in order to cultivate myself, I developed a training where I could learn along with other women. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, one of the biggest aha for me, ahas for me coming through that time was the recognition that no wonder the patriarchy has invested so heavily in a catfight scenario <laughs> for women. Right. 
because mm-hmm. when we actually align with each other and yes. can get have each other's backs, mm-hmm. we have the capacity to strengthen each other quickly and and solidly and enduringly. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a tremendous social capacity for all of us. And it's important to me to say, Carrie, that over time, although I've done a lot of work with women, I've really come to believe that all of us are as badly wounded by this imbalance, mm-hmm. regardless of what gender we might be at this moment, mm-hmm. that men are hurt as badly by patriarchy as women are, yeah. if not worse. And so, you know, what I came to feel over time was that my growing into my own acceptance and engagement with leadership involved mm-hmm. what I call full spectrum leadership, which mm-hmm. means that in our mental model, we think leadership is all about aggression and strategy, leading from the mind mm. and and action mm-hmm. and brute force, you know, right? right? But mm-hmm. in fact, the leaders I most admire and most aspire to be like are mm-hmm. those that are leading from their hearts, from their spirits, from their bodies' wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so for me, full spectrum leadership came to mean not only being able to draw from anywhere on my feminine to masculine quote human characteristics but also being able to integrate all the wisdoms of this animal Mm -hmm. this instrument that i am in this life on earth Mm -hmm. in order to meet this time that as as you quoted me asks so much of us Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering what would you say that this time is asking of us i would say that it is asking of us to adapt to a time of serial and turbulent change, Mm -hmm. which we are not necessarily very psychologically or emotionally or social sciences trained to be ready for. Mm. And in order to adapt to a time of so much change, I think we have to shift some very core biases within ourselves, like diversity being scary or a threat, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the rapidly shifting demographics of our country mm-hmm. and really facing into the fact that what we've inherited is a culture of white supremacy that yeah. we have to actively engage with to undo and really partner with those who know the, have learned the most about resilience because of how they've been traumatized, serially traumatized mm-hmm. by our history and our culture and our systems which are all crumbling, as we know, and falling apart in big chunks. Right. Well, I think it also what you're saying also harkens back to that same rupture that you're talking about, that European history, or that was actually kind of a global history or subjugation of of the feminine. And going back to indigenous forms of leadership, I mean, at that time, we were living in a more pagan, animistic way. And so that we were living from an earth-centered way, earth-centered perspective that was natural. And that was what got subjugated during that time and kind of just remained such until now. And now we're in this moment of kind of upheaval and writing that and, and redirecting ourselves back to what were our origins, our indigenous origins. Well, and I think exactly what you're pointing to, Carrie, is really a fundamental shift in our worldview. I mean, I think that's what this time and Gaia is asking of us, because if we look back to indigenous roots, which we are all indigenous to mother life, right? I'll go on after our break. 
<laughs> okay, we're going to take a break now, and then we'll be right back, listeners, to speak more with Nina Simons. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you are enjoying EcoJustice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sunday at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to EcoJustice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today you are listening to Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, Reinventing Leadership and Reclaiming the Feminine, with host Carrie Kim and guest Nina Simons, co-founder and chief relationship officer of Bioneers and author of Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership. Listeners, we're back with Nina Simons and uh, co-founder of Bioneers. And Nina, speaking about your book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, is certainty overrated in leadership? You've mentioned that certitude often prevails in conventional leaders, but how might leadership evolve to open the way for curiosity, creativity, and not knowing the answers? Well, I think that if we as leaders, I believe the earth is calling us all to be leaders, each in our own, as you mentioned, Carrie, specific particular forms. Mm -hmm. And if we all can practice reclaiming our relational intelligence, mm -hmm. which is what surveys across the world have said is most valued in leadership at this time mm -hmm. and you know and what studies are proving is being most effective in climate justice work all across the world then then that inclines us to uh, discard certitude as an aim you mm -hmm. know and to recognize process as being as important as product mm -hmm. and to you know to evolve our work at the speed of trust rather than plan mm -hmm. um, and and to really listen for the collective wisdom of those around us mm -hmm. which may even include the natural world you mm -hmm. know because she has 4 billion years of evolution on us Yes, 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 definitely. You know, um, I'll confess that I, I have some su suspicions about the word leader. And this is mainly because when I think of indigenous peoples, you know, they generally, indigenous peoples that I know and elders that I know, they generally do not need the label. They don't need to be called leader. They just lead. They're just in that action. So why any necessity to make the distinction of leader? It seems... The minute we identify a leader, often that leader is separated from the pack. Well, not if we consciously re-engage with the redefinition of leadership. Mm -hmm. See, I believe, Carrie, that part of what the earth is asking of us right now is mm -hmm. to reinvent everything about human civilization. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's all up for grabs. And <laughs> really, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> it's a great thing. It's a great thing. But why should leadership be anything different? I mean, you know, for me, leadership doesn't mean being the head of the pack. And it doesn't mean that I have an ego affirmation for what I do. It means that my choices matter. It means that I am self-responsible for how <clears throat> I live my life in alignment with my core values and the world that I want to co-birth into being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's 
very important right now because it's a kind of leadership that's renewable, mm -hmm. that is actually regenerative, right. whereas the old model is a burnout. And we've okay. seen it for decades and it doesn't work and it's time to slough it off, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I find for myself that as I cultivate myself to become more and more who I believe my soul brought me here to be, mm -hmm. that means shedding a lot of culturally um, entrained beliefs and systems and values and ideas and definitions mm -hmm. while consciously adopting new ones. Right. You know, just like you would cultivate a garden, right? You've got to pull out the weeds and take good care of the plants. Yes. I think we have to do that with ourselves. Definitely. Oh, definitely. That's true. You know, I leadership seems leader or maybe instead of leader, instead of it being a noun so much, it can be more of um, more of a verb, more of a function, you know, rather mm -hmm. than the title of that is feels more fixed, because that's another thing I think that we we get into these notions of leadership that is very sort of concretized and it's not so dynamic as leadership is fluidity, it's adaptability, it's constantly evolving. Absolutely. And I think that another thing that's true about the new definition that we're all co-evolving of leadership, you know, mm -hmm. my first book was called Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart. And what I found when I reviewed dozens and dozens of transcripts from the leaders I most admired was mm -hmm. that rather than assuming leadership because they had a title or a medal or a graduate degree or they inherited it right. you know they were they were engaging with a project because they felt called inwardly by their passion by their devotion to mm -hmm. serve something that they loved right. and i think this is a time where we're called into sacred activism mm -hmm. you know and so that's a very different model of leadership because it doesn't involve all that rigidity and inflexibility and, you know, ass assumption of ongoing. I mean, I love the model of how geese, you know, migrate mm -hmm. in the seasons mm -hmm. in that the lead goose rotates because that's the hardest position. Mm -hmm. And so everybody takes turns being right. the lead goose. Mm -hmm. What a good idea, you know, <laughs> right? That, that's I, a good way to prevent burnout. <laughs> Really? It's great. Well, and, and in civil society, we're seeing more and more of it with right. two and three member co-executive directors, you know, or motherhood, you know, people, there's people who kind of share the roles of motherhood. So it, that's know. right. That's right. Or parenting or, you know, they just join a collective and there's a whole group that makes decisions together. It all it's takes slower, time. but it's probably more stable. Yeah, I think it's more beneficial in some ways can be. Yeah. But, for the child but you know yeah. with the influence of social media the words change agent influencer change maker all these have come a bit pervasive but again these words tend to isolate or maybe overemphasize the individual uh, at the expense of our interdependency it seems to be somewhat negated or overshadowed when we use such terms your thoughts well, I think that the way you're describing it, the way that social media has positioned those terms is as a binary, right? Mm -hmm. yes. and, and that binary tends to say that action is good and reflection is not good. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, individual is the way forward versus I really believe we're moving from an I culture to a we culture. Mm -hmm. And that involves a whole lot of different muscles than we've had before. Um, So, you know, I think the terms can be useful, but there's so much manipulation happening in the social media sphere now Mm -hmm. that I tend to be very suspect of it and to feel like, Actually, this is a time that calls us all to tremendous discernment to decide who we want to listen to and what media we want to absorb and where we're going to give our attention because there is abundant opportunity for distraction that is really debilitating, I think, to all of our best leadership. Yeah. Well, when you say something like so-and-so is an influencer, it means so-and-so is not. I think that's where that dichotomy, like you say, the binary right. situation arises. And we see that even with youth or teen suicides and things where people are comparing themselves to certain standards. And I think that that uh, they miss the boat on their own unique expression of leadership, whether that is and it doesn't mean that you have to be a CEO of something or to be a producer. It doesn't mean that you have to be a producer. You might be a mother and that is your leadership gift for That's this right. lifetime. So yes, important. Yeah. Well, and I I mean, I think that's really important because I believe that the definition of leadership and of activism Mm -hmm. both need to be widely expanded to include all kinds of things that we have not inherited in our associative minds as Mm -hmm. as having the same value. Mm -hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. And in a way, what you're describing is that, you know, for me, part of what it all comes back to, Carrie, is how do we not only come to tolerate diversity, but to recognize diversity as an essential to mm-hmm. life going forward right. and as a, as a cherished value. Mm-hmm. And so that means when you encounter somebody different than you, you have to approach with curiosity rather than judgment. Right. You know, but that's a celebration, practice. even celebration. Let's Absolutely. Bring <laughs> Absolutely. What can we learn from each other? <laughs> You know, exactly. there's a there's a biomimicry principle that I love, which mm-hmm. I learned from Janine Benyus, the godmother of biomimicry, yeah. mm-hmm. which is that in nature, the places of greatest fertility are the places where two or more ecosystems meet. Mm-hmm. So that's where the greatest innovation is. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's true in nature, then it's true for us, you that's know, true. because, of course, we're a subset of the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, my mentor, Stephen Jenkinson, he's an author and author of Coming of Age. Maybe you're familiar with his work, but he comments that our society is death phobic and we do sit on the precipice of death right now. Not only death, but we know that human actions are bringing the ecosystem to the brink of extinction. But we also know that regeneration is possible and it is happening in many places already. But why is it critical to honor death as part of our trajectory now? What is the relationship? between our grief aversion and leadership? That's such a good question. Um, I have come to believe that, uh, as my friend Caroline Casey would say, um, grievance is the toxic mimic of grief. Because Mm -hmm. we live in a grief phobic Mm -hmm. culture Mm -hmm. and in a culture that is phobic of death, we bury our grief we don't have any kinds of rituals or publicly accepted ways to express it Mm -hmm. and uh my personal sense you know carl jung said that the feminine is our interiority Mm -hmm. and it's the dark Mm -hmm. and 
the masculine is the light and the upper and the you know the visible and and the action oriented mm -hmm. and um so for me the fact that we have a death averse culture mm -hmm. also is true that we have a dark averse culture mm. like they're correlated right. and as we recognize that restoring balance to the feminine principle across our cultures mm -hmm. includes how do we befriend our emotional bodies which mm -hmm. includes not only our grief but our despair and our anger and mm -hmm. our joy because they're all connected mm -hmm. and we you know the more we suppress what we call the dark emotions mm -hmm. um, i think the more we limit our human capacity to meet mm -hmm. life with our fullest Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not only the most joyful way to live, but the most effective way to live, mm -hmm. you know, and what a good combination. Like, why would I choose to live otherwise? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is integrating all, like, as you said, integrating all aspects of ourself, dark to light. And yes. recognizing that we have that capacity within all of us. My, I have a, a teacher who actually says darkness is beauty. And yeah. I think that is important. Yeah. We well, and darkness is creation. Sure. Right? And sure. here we are living in a time where creation is attempting to be quelled, mm -hmm. right? And women's reproductive rights and, right. and rights over our own sovereign bodies are mm -hmm. being brutalized. Mm -hmm. And and thankfully, this may be the thing that promotes the largest reaction in our social body. Right. Um, oh. The largest immune response mm. to the threat that we're facing. Right. Because well, we know that it's all connected, right? Of course. The of the, the feminine as well as what is happening on the earth planetarily. Uh, everything is completely related. But yep. Part of, the, part of the inheritance of a biased culture, this is something that you've said in your book, part of the inheritance of a biased culture has been that we value the intellect over our other ways of knowing some of which you've already mentioned, you know, body wisdom and intuition. And it sounds like the essence of indigenous wisdom. And what are some of these other ways of knowing that you relate with feminine inflected leadership? Hmm. Well, you know, there are a whole series of practices that have come to be associated with um, what's known as relational mindfulness, mm -hmm. which involve, you know, deep listening, curiosity, awe, wonder, you know, um, the valuing of the other. Mm -hmm. um, there are all of these ways of knowing and asking for guidance and ritual and prayer. And, you know, I love it that scientists are now revealing that mycelium under the earth respond mm -hmm. to sound frequencies. Mm -hmm. And they respond especially to low frequencies like the sounds of drumming, which mm -hmm. of course indigenous people have mm -hmm. done to herald the changing seasons. Mm -hmm. And so I think we live in a conscious universe, you know, personally. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an indigenous way of knowing. And mm -hmm. we're all indigenous to Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's part of where we need to be heading mm -hmm. as we recognize that the Earth is relatives, not resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and again, moving away from intellect as the one singular way of knowing that's kind of been pounded upon us and because there, we know how it goes with some people who are intuitive or they're clairvoyant and that is suppressed, punished. Um, this is kind of the way this culture is. It's kind of 
tries to prevent you from discovering your own inner knowing and connectivity. And from honoring it and recognizing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. celebrating as a gift. Yeah. You know, ancient times, many cultures, uh, in many cultures, leaders were chosen. They may have been chosen for their spiritual gifts, or they underwent rigorous spiritual training to refine themselves as leaders. But today, spirituality is largely divorced or banished from modern day leadership. Do you envision this reunion of spirituality and leadership in our times? Oh, I think it's already happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the middle of designing a course that I'll be offering in August, actually, on mm -hmm. sacred activism, mm -hmm. because I think that the sacred and activism or leadership um, mm -hmm. have been binaried by our culture in a way that falsely divides two elements of our lived experience that actually really belong together and that are mutually beneficial mm -hmm. to the nth degree and called for at this time. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think it's already happening, you know? I think they're actually inextricable, but, and I think that's part mm -hmm. of the conflict that some of us experience because it's almost like gaslighting is part of yourself that is awake and wanting to be expressed, but it's not allowed to be, um, as you say, honored in society. Yeah. But we know that's not true. So then there's this um, sort of conflict that's happening internally. Yeah. And I think we're living in a time where we don't have a lot of leeway for inner conflict. You mm. know, I mean, yeah. I've been noticing myself mm. the energies of the last few weeks and mm. how much effort and attention it requires for me to mm -hmm. stay centered in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. It's more than it was six months ago. Right. So. Yeah. You know, that's just reality. I mean, things are changing very fast and they're tumultuous and scary and intense and, you know, anger making all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I think I think we really have to cultivate our capacity to recalibrate our nervous systems and mm -hmm. to befriend our emotional systems mm -hmm. and to um, to love our body wisdom and intuition and dream time awareness mm -hmm. back into strength, into balance. I think maybe that was one of the great blessings of the pandemics because many yeah. people actually were relieved by being able to go inward and take a breath. Yes. That's definitely the yin aspect, you know, where Absolutely. you allow for vulnerability, intuition <sighs> to arise, body wisdom to be able to even listen, to get off the, you know, to get off the spinning wheel for a minute to just breathe and slow down. I totally agree. And I have to confess, Carrie, that I don't feel like an expert by any means. What I'm <laughs> witnessing in myself is that as the world is opening up again, right. my habituated pattern to take mm -hmm. on too much, to do too much, to be in overactivity, mm -hmm. to respond more than is in balance for all my ways of knowing and being mm -hmm. is so ingrained mm -hmm. that I'm struggling to do it, you know, and I imagine many of us are. Mm -hmm. You so, know, I wanted to 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 shift to ask about moving away from just human beings as a focus. You know, what of leadership as we evidence it in nature? Are you integrating these forms? You speak about biomimicry. I know Bioneers has largely been um, associated with biomimicry and celebrating that. Are you integrating forms of leadership outside of human beings, whether it be Bees, sharks, chimpanzees, leopards, microbes, mycelial network, elephants, how we are looking at leadership and how it takes place uh, among our living relatives. We sure are. Um, you know, we we produced an award winning radio show um, 
called Busting the Myth of Primate Patriarchy. That was <laughs> that was fantastic because, because it turns out that our closest primate relatives, like the alpha male, is not at all what we imagine. The alpha male actually adopts orphans and takes care of single women and trains the young boys. I mean, the alpha male is like cool in the primate world. Right? So yes, we do that all the time. And I think Bioneers is a good source of decolonizing our minds to stop thinking so anthropocentrically mm -hmm. and recognize, you know, one of the things that I did during the pandemic was mm. that I received guidance to find a species to mentor me and mm -hmm. to spend a year studying that species. Oh, which I did, which was amazing. And I learned a Jeez, lot. Yes, it. it was an, a very unusual plant called Apache plume mm -hmm. that is endogenous to the region where I live. Uh -huh. And it's a very funny looking plant in mm -hmm. that it has seed heads that look like Cindy Lauper's hair. <laughs> and really, they're these puffy pink plumes. Mm -hmm. And even though we're in a hundred year drought in the high desert where I live, right. yes, this yes. plant has been perpetuating okay. itself, growing across the landscape like nobody's business. Well, I mean, if no, I didn't no. know better, I would call it an invasive species, but it's <laughs> from here, you know? Right. And, and so, I mean, it's marvelous in terms of studying fertility and resilience. Mm. You know, we're going to take another break here and, and we will come right back to talk more about elders and our times. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you are enjoying EcoJustice Radio. We air every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sunday at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to EcoJustice Radio on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, Reinventing Leadership and Reclaiming the Feminine with host Carrie Kim and guest Nina Simons, co-founder and chief relationship officer of Bioneers and author of Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership. So, so Nina, we are back, and it used to be that elders were the sage ones who communities and villages generally turned to for direction. These days, ageism is common, and the disappearance of authentic elders have left an intergenerational gap. What is the importance of intergenerational connection with regard to leadership? Oh, boy. Well... It's hugely important, it's so needed, and it's so exciting when you can experience it and feel it. Um, a dear friend taught me early in my journey to think of mentorship as mutual mentorship, mm -hmm. especially when it's between an elder and a younger. Mm -hmm. And that the, you know, that we each have equal amounts to learn from each other. Yeah. And, you know, what I witness as I scan the you know, social movement, ecological landscape is that the youth movements now 
are actually um, so important in terms of the quality of urgency that they bring to the climate discussion. Mm -hmm. And we need their energy, we need their right. commitment and their devotion and their passion, mm -hmm. and they need our experience. Mm -hmm. And so creating um, venues for intergenerational dialogue and mutual mentorship, mm -hmm. I think is really vital to how we go forward. Mm -hmm. And I think doing it in our local communities is especially important. Right. I think there's something about the elders, because by the time you've become really an elder, you know, or have learned or cultivated the capacity to yield and surrender, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. hang back, to listen, to not rush forth. And so that is, I think, a quality that really is cultivated over many years. <laughs> Going for, I think most That's of us true. who have kind of traveled the journey of, you know, decades know that change within ourselves, yeah. you know. So. Well, and I think we've had decades of experience in how part of how we change the world is by changing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas as young people, we don't may not know that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're a little bit more the center of our own universe at that point. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, no, no fault of our own because you've only lived that many years. You know, there is much yeah. more perspectives to be gained. So could you share some of the key false narratives that you see around leadership? I mean, some of them we've already mentioned, but if there's something that we haven't touched upon. Well, I mean, you know, just to name them all in one place, I would say that, you know, part of the false narrative has to do with certitude mm -hmm. and thinking you know the answers mm -hmm. versus being willing to say, I'm not sure, give me your counsel. Um, I think that, you know, the old model of leadership is top down, is hierarchical, involves a sense that, you know, somebody's perspective is more valuable than anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And I think we are moving towards a much more pluralistic, um, engaged model of leadership that says, actually, you know, the best we can do is hope to create a field where there's some shared values. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, encourage as many diverse expressions of that as we can. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think the old model of leadership is basically command and control. Right? <laughs> right. It is, right. right? It's what we're seeing in the rise of authoritarian regimes all over this nation and the world. Right. It's control, command and dominate mm -hmm. and and constrain. And mm -hmm. that involves constraining freedom as mm -hmm. well as constraining options and expression. And well, we know it's unnatural because it always has to be done by force. That's right. That's right. It doesn't arise in any way spontaneously. Mm -hmm. It's it's brutal and it's debilitating and it's backwards looking. Yeah, it's like <laughs> trying mean, to contain the wild. You cannot contain the wild. You cannot contain the impulse of nature to create. I think it's very much similar, you know, trying to contain what is natural and organic and free, free, freely um, abundant. So, well, and as many brilliant leaders have said, you know, power doesn't cede power willingly. Ooh, I've recently yeah. <laughs> come across, right? I've recently come across a phrase that you and your listeners may appreciate. Mm. I was I was talking to a friend and I said, "Have you ever had the experience of knowing you need to end a pattern in yourself?" But just when you're really ready to shed it and be done with it, it mm -hmm. seems to explode and manifest more brilliantly than you've ever seen before. 
<laughs> and more abundantly. She laughed and she said, oh yeah, social psychologists have a name for that. Mm. They call it an extinction burst. <laughs> and ever since I've heard that, I see <laughs> extinction bursts everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I used to call it the thrashing of the dying dinosaur of patriarchy's tail. Mm -hmm. Because really we're seeing, I mean, there was an article in the New York Times about how there are still witch hunting and killings in India today, mm -hmm. you know, and villagers decide something's wrong because some norm is changing yeah. and they decide to scapegoat somebody and they attack a woman. Yes. And, you know, so this is still happening, folks. Right. And it's easy targets. Easy women have always historically been easy targets. So and, and we know well, that it's, there's much more symbology there than just. Yes. <laughs> happening so well um, and it's fractally happening all over in terms of multinational corporations and the ways that they're waging war on the earth by waging war on the mostly indigenous women where they're right. seeking to rape the earth mm -hmm. they rape the women the first it's like one in the same it is it really is um, but I do like that you say, we know that the, it is the dying embers of patriarchy that is already dying. And we know that it's, it is on its way out, no matter how many years it takes, it is already happening. It is in its death process. It's just not complete. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a hard time to live through. Mm -hmm. And on, on some level, it's important for us as humans to recognize the challenges that we individually and collectively are facing so that we can support each other through them mm -hmm. you know because honestly um i think it's going to get harder before it gets better and i i think that we you know we can strengthen each other's capacity to turn our attention and our time and our efforts toward the world that's being born rather than the one that's dying yes continuing to redirect ourselves and as yeah. you you swim you see you turn around and see who's swimming in the same river with you uh, and you help and uplift each other exactly know? and it, it becomes a much more joyful way to live than being in constant struggle against yeah. it's a long I mean, we have to do that too <laughs> each in our own way you know? <laughs> nina you've mentioned that one of the qualities you've most revered in other leaders is humility mm. Yet today we know narcissism abounds. The camera is often turned turned towards ourselves, and society rewards that seeking of acclaim, popularity, and the limelight. But if we look at history, the greatest leaders were often the renegades. They were the ones that were going against the grain of whatever would have been mainstream society. Why is humility key for any leader? Well, I think you know. In my experience, it feels to me like we as a culture have become somewhat allergic to that narcissistic form of leadership. And <laughs> really, you know, I mean, whether it's men explain things to me, you know, or there are so many manifestations of it. And we don't want to be lectured to by experts anymore. It's mm -hmm. time that we, as you said, this pandemic has instructed us to turn inward mm -hmm. and to strengthen our capacity to believe in our own inner guidance. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true. And I also think that, you know, we can tell the truth of what someone's motivation is. Mm -hmm. And those people that are out there to either get rich, get more powerful or get more celebrity, we can feel it as mm -hmm. we hear them and sense them. Mm -hmm. And for me, there's a very different experience of someone who's speaking from sacred activism, from a sense of 
really what I'm, I'm devoted to mother life thriving. And that mm -hmm. includes us, you mm -hmm. know, and to whatever extent I can in my own small way, I want to contribute to that. Mm -hmm. But if I self aggrandize my contribution, it tends to stimulate the ranking and mm -hmm. the hierarchical stuff of a patriarchal culture. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I can say, hey, I'm doing the best I can and I want to invite you all to join me because mm -hmm. we need all the hands we can get right. and your gifts and talents are really needed, mm -hmm. that's a very different invitation. I think there's a different honesty barometer that is going yeah. on now. So yeah. people appreciate honesty and they appreciate that vulnerability actually because there's been so much corruption there's been so much propaganda and leadership. And so people are suspicious and distrustful, but there is a reason for that. With and good so, reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when we see a leader that actually is willing to say, I don't know, yeah. we listen. It's easier yeah. to listen to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they're more like all of us. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. So leadership and self-care. Do you have any lessons you'd like to share with others, especially because we know you've, you've even confessed your own tendency to just kind of keep going? Uh, well, a lot of self-awareness is what I would suggest. And inventing our own rituals to change our neural pathways. You know, mm -hmm. one of my favorite examples is that I realized early on in my own process that when I got out of the shower in the morning and looked at my body in the mirror, I had all these voices go off of your hips are too wide and your butt's too fat and your belly's too round, right? Mm -hmm. And and then I realized, oh, I'm doing violence to myself every day. Mm -hmm. I need to stop that. So right. I invented a ritual where I create a skin oil um, mm -hmm. that I put essential oils into it that give me pleasure. And mm -hmm. each morning when I get out of the shower, I anoint my body with that oil. Mm -hmm. And as I do so, I pour love and gratitude into my body. Mm -hmm. And it only takes two to five minutes. Right. And, you know, after six of it or eight weeks of holding myself accountable and doing it every day, mm -hmm. I started to feel that my relationship to my body was shifting. Mm -hmm. And it really has. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all responsible for decolonizing our own habitual patterns mm -hmm. that tend to keep us small mm -hmm. and undermine our own full flourishing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things that I, is important to me is to recognize that um, I learned from a teacher and a friend that the feminine flourishes in spaciousness. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like, oh, right. That's mm -hmm. the opposite of my to-do list. Right. Mm -hmm. Spaciousness is, right? Timelessness, right? Yeah. And giving myself permission to just take a half hour break in the middle of my day to space out right. or lie down or meditate or whatever it is that actually regenerates me. And so, yeah, that's what I would offer. Well, I think that's what a capitalist materialist society has been hypervigilant around productivity. Exactly. So it's really yes. kind of um, against retreating into ourselves or our own caves of the self to, to be able to go back out into the world. And I think every activist, advocate, wh wherever you, what, whatever your contributions to the world, we all need to be doing this. Well, I think so too. And at the same time, it helps me because I correlate that self-care piece with the feminine mm -hmm. and with 
Um, I think we're all in a time of needing to reclaim healthy definitions of what is feminine and what is masculine. Mm -hmm. And then how do we recalibrate ourselves inwardly to mm -hmm. be able to have full access to all of it? Mm -hmm. um, because that's our human birthright. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the most energizing way to live. Not the full spectrum, as you've mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, white supremacy, misogyny, colonialism, capitalism, they've all had perverse impacts on leadership, as many of us have experienced it in the world. What do you wish to share with listeners regarding racial and gender biases and how they intersect? Well, for me, what I learned was that being in a female body gave me a window on injustice in all its forms. Because there's a great essay that I write about in the book called The Tilted Room. And mm. once you've experienced being on the losing end of the tilted uh, room, mm. right, whether it's because you're female or differently abled or LGBTQ or racially of a person of color or indigenous, any of those things experience injustice, mm -hmm. right, in our society due to the confluence of those systems you just named. Mm -hmm. So for me, it has meant that as a person of Jewish lineage, mm -hmm. I have connected deeply with my own ancestral past mm -hmm. to say, yeah, my people were enslaved for a long time. And I came here, my people came here as an immigrant mm -hmm. and my people are being targeted right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not only my people as a, a female bodied person, but also my people as a, a person of Jewish descent. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're all related. And I think that we all have gifts to bring to this moment of reinvention that says, if resilience is the key and mm -hmm and being able to address the healing that our trauma requires mm -hmm. at the same time as we reinvent our culture mm -hmm. and start to create new forms, mm -hmm. we need each other's wisdom to do that. Mm -hmm. And heal those sort of uh, ancestral wounds and, and also the wounds from our modern society. Absolutely, and the wounds of ageism. I mean, mm -hmm. all of it, right? There are all of these ranked systems mm -hmm. in our society and, Actually, it's, you know, for me, it's my call anyway, to seek to address all of them in a way that can help awaken people to the joy and beauty of really engaging with diverse partners in something you really love and feel called to serve, mm -hmm. because it's the best life on earth that I can imagine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot that's been written about the hardship of racial equity work, not enough, I feel, has been written about the beauty and power and joy in racial equity work. And I've got lots of bumps and scars from it, but, <laughs> but I wouldn't trade them for anything. Sure. You know, I'm so grateful that I actually lived through them to reach a point where I can honestly call myself an ally mm -hmm. and know that it's real, right. yeah. you know, and practice yeah. it in my life. Yeah. And that's I mean, the calling myself that doesn't even matter. It's mm -hmm. what I do. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, what feeling would you say is required of patriarchy now? Because, you know, patriarchs, of course, easy targets in our era. It's convenient and easy to blame the world's ills on patriarchy. But we know we need the healthy, balanced patriarchs in our world. Father energy, young aspects need to be in balance. So what are your thoughts on 
healing our notions of patriarchy because some people kind of go out on the um you know war cry with that and and that is also an imbalance too well sure i mean justice i think rather than restorative justice uh Uh justice right i mean when i look at some of the most brutally behaving humans in the Mm -hmm. world today Mm -hmm. most of them had abusive fathers Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a through line of abusive patriarchs to mm-hmm. almost all of them, mm-hmm. which is kind of striking. And, you know, so so what would I say about it is, wow, well, you know, I'd like to imagine that we may be able to influence them on through the invisible world. I think part of reclaiming balance mm-hmm. is that, you know, David Bohm and indigenous cultures have long maintained that the world that we can perceive with our five senses is mm-hmm. only a tiny fraction of right. the energetic world that is occurring all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to believe that when enough of us um, are willing to stand fully in our own authority together mm-hmm. um, in a mass movement, mm-hmm. that that helps shift the needle for them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may be that we have to wait for more of them to die. I don't know. <laughs> I'm serious. Maybe, maybe we need to redefine patriarchs and patriarchy as well, so that we we sure. take that shadow side away and also start bringing the other to it. Because I, it's the same thing with leadership. You know, there's yeah. the toxic leadership and there's toxic patriarchy, but there is also the other side, like the yin and yang. Oh, so, well, um, that's why that's why busting the myth of primate patriarchy is such a great <laughs> yeah, story. I love, I love that. Right? Because you need to see the gorillas and the bonobos and what the, and the chimps mm-hmm. and how the males are like modeling beautiful masculine behavior, you know, mm-hmm. and the elephants and the whales. And we got lots of examples around us. They're mm-hmm. just not coming out of Hollywood by and large. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nina, please tell our listeners how they can be in contact with you, your works, your leadership trainings and retreats for women. Where should they find you? And uh, I'm sure the book is probably available on all outlets, but. Thanks for asking. Well, yeah. the book is available at all outlets. And um, if people would like to download a free introduction of it, they can go to bioneers.org slash NCS book. And there's a free download of the introduction there. And also it, that gives you an opportunity to sign up for the Bioneers newsletter, which is fantastic. I've got to say, our team has put together just a really rich resource that just comes every couple weeks with like a lot of links to great media and ideas and trainings and workshops and all kinds of stuff. So, and I have my own website, which is ninasimons.com, where I've done a lot of other uh, podcasts and everyone is welcome to visit wherever they'd like to find me. I am going to be teaching sacred activism on the Bioneers learning site, and I'm going to be adapting um, a lot of, you know, what's in the book is not only a series of essays, but discussion guides and embodied practices, much of Mm -hmm. which came out of my learning from cultivating women's leadership. So the book itself offers a lot of that, and I'm going to be creating a training for it probably next winter on Bioneers learning. Oh, fantastic, because the book is is a rich and deep read and i highly recommend it to anyone who who really wants to expand their own definition and expression of leadership in our times 
Thank you. It's one of my very favorite reviews was from a father who said, I love this book because it helped me understand my wife and my daughters better. <laughs> and I was like, great. Yeah, okay. well, that's perfect. Yes, <laughs> it's, everyone. it's true. Nina, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honor. We are so, so um, grateful for you and you putting out this book, uh, Nature, Culture and the Sacred. A woman listens for leadership. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing and you're doing it beautifully. And I'm really honored to join you. Thank you so much, Carrie, and to everyone listening. We're going forward together. Mahalo, Nina. Mahalo, Carrie. Thank you to our guest, Nina Simons. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, Reinventing Leadership and Reclaiming the Feminine. For an extended version of this interview, become a member of our Patreon or visit our website at ecojusticeradio.org. Please connect with us on social media at Ecojustice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. And if you like what you've heard today and you want others to be informed, well, subscribe and share the episodes and help us continue our efforts by joining our Patreon or making a tax-deductible donation to the show. Project with SoCal 350, the show can be found on KPFK, KPFT, and all major podcast apps and at ecojusticeradio.org. Executive producer, myself, Jack Eit. Producer and co-host, Jessica Aldridge. Co-host, Carrie Kim. An engineer and original music by Blake Quake Beats. And until next time, remember, the power is yours. Mm-hmm.